Thank you for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. I'm your host, Lily Moayeri. I've been a music journalist since 1992, and I interview a lot of music-related people. This podcast is about my experience behind the story, my experience doing the interviews, just to give you a snapshot of what it's like on the other side of the digital recorder. Pictures of Lily. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. We're almost halfway through 2021, and this is episode 39. You can find us on every platform by going to picturesoflily.com, where you can subscribe or follow us and also connect to us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Pandora, and Amazon. Although it's really best to listen to the podcast straight from the source at picturesoflily.com, as it is the best quality audio without any copyright restrictions. In this very personal episode, I take a look back at my three decades of friendship with revered producer, DJ, label owner, artist, and writer, Andrew Weatherall. are a few snapshots of my experiences with Andrew Weatherall. Before I met Andrew, I had heard of him because of his award-winning breakthrough work on Primal Scream's 1991 album Screamadelica, which won the first ever Mercury Prize. As per usual, I wasn't a fan of Primal Scream at the start, but caught on eventually. In 1992, I was flying to the UK on Virgin Atlantic and on one of the aircraft's music stations, I heard Andrew's remix of Future Sound of London's Papua New Guinea. I was very familiar with this track as it was one of the staples in the Los Angeles underground dance scene in the early 90s. But I had never heard this version of it and it sounded extremely strange to me. Later that summer, I was at a club called Renaissance in the countryside outside of Nottingham and I heard Sasha, whom I had met the week before in Glasgow, Scotland, DJing Andrew's remix of Papua New Guinea. It felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. The very next day, I was back in Glasgow where I went to a low-key Sunday night party at a bar where Andrew was DJing. This was the first time I met Andrew and coincidentally, it was with the same people who discovered Daft Punk, my friends Stuart McMillan and Ord Mickle from Slam, and Dave Clark from Soma Quality Recordings. I told Andrew that I'd heard Sasha play his remix the night before and he said that Sasha really took that version to another level with the way he placed it in his DJ sets. We went to someone's apartment that night, I think it might have been Stuart's, and I was reading these excellent fanzines called Boyzone he had lying around. Boyzone is legendary, but at the time I had never seen them before. These zines were put together by another friend of mine called Terry Farley and Andrew, and the writing was on point. I had just started my music journalism career and my writing was about as far away from what I was reading in Boyzone as you could get and I was in deep awe and admiration of both Terry's and Andrew's writing skills. Two years later, I was at another bar in London waiting to go to the Chemical Brothers Sunday Social, which I talked about in an early episode of this podcast, episode number three. 
Andrew showed up at the bar and I asked him if he remembered me and he said yes, which was hard to believe, but I wanted to believe it was true. He was wearing jeans and a white t-shirt and shit-kicking boots, which for some reason I always remember. And when I think of him, that's what I see him wearing. Even though his style changed many times over the years, in recent times, his wardrobe became kind of costume-like. The following week, I was at a club where Andrew was playing and I asked him if he would do an interview with me for Herb magazine. He agreed and gave me his number and made arrangements for us to meet at his management company that week. He had the same management as the Chemical Brothers at the time, whom I was interviewing on the same day. When I told the people at the management company that I was waiting for Andrew, they just looked at me like I was out of my mind and said there was no way Andrew was showing up, except that he showed up exactly on time and went off with me for the interview. The facial expressions of everyone in the office when this happened was priceless. I remember odd details from that encounter, like Andrew carrying my bag. I had a relatively big duffel and he said he couldn't let a woman carry a bag. That was the first time someone called me a woman. I was very young and just thought of myself as a girl. I was in London for a few weeks and Andrew and I did a lot of stuff together. He took me to loads of events and clubs and parties. And while he looked out for me, he also let me wander around and discover and talk to people on my own. The year after this, my sister Layla was killed in a car accident at the age of 23. I ended up speaking to Andrew on the phone often after this incident, and he helped me a great deal in dealing with her loss. He felt pretty helpless and said so many times, but I told him he was helping by listening. And he was funny, so very funny and dry, and all the chuckles over those conversations were so life-affirming. I remembered his unintentional jokes throughout the stretches between our conversations. The fact that he wasn't one of my closer friends, at least not yet, made it easier to talk to him. That sounds weird because everything I have said up to this point makes it seem like we were already pretty tight. But we weren't. We were getting there, though. Andrew and I did grow closer and more relaxed around each other over time. I would see him when I would go over to the UK. He came to Los Angeles, I think it was in the early 2000s, and I went to pick him up at the airport. And he demanded to be taken to see X the band and to hang out with Henry Rollins. I have a weird memory of us in his hotel room after his gigs, with our legs up on the wall to reverse blood flow, eating orange candy. He was really a super funny guy, highly entertaining, and not just with his music. I didn't see him for a few years, and then I was in Amsterdam for the Amsterdam dance event, and he was DJing a back-to-back set with Harvey. I texted him letting him know I was in town, and when I met up with him at the club, it was like no time had passed. By this time, we were like siblings as far as being comfortable around each other. We went to breakfast when I was in London next, and I met his lovely wife, Lizzie. This was the first time I'd seen him so excited and happy about his partner, and it made me so happy to see him that way. Andrew and Lizzie came to Los Angeles in 2016 for an all-night-long DJ gig at Lot 613. We all went to dinner, and he and I were in automatic Lily and Andrew mode, making fun of each other and turning every single thing into a joke. It was like our switches get turned on to that setting the second we see each other. That was the last time I saw him.
I was in Arizona when he died unexpectedly from an aneurysm in 2019. I was in so much shock, I could feel it vibrating through my body and my mind was just rejecting the information altogether. I text Lizzie not just to express condolences, but also to thank her for how happy she made Andrew. And what made me happy is that when she texts back, she said she knew that he was happy. In the six hour drive home from Arizona, I cried for at least two hours straight and intermittently for the rest of the journey, which distressed Lawrence greatly. I felt worse and worse as everyone on social media, friends and random others, expressed a lot of emotion about Andrew and told stories and recounted memories. But the more I read these, the more I realized none of the people were actual friends with him. I really wanted to talk to people that had a friendship with him like I had on that level. Andrew and I have a handful of mutual friends in that position and I did reach out to them both to make sure they were okay and possibly to share our grief. But we were all so very devastated that I didn't feel I could dump on them. Not the way I dumped on Andrew when my sister died. The more social media celebrated his life, the more frantically upset I was getting and the more I was crying. This went on for weeks and weeks into months and months, maybe less frequently, but it was not really stopping. I had to talk to a professional about it just so I could get a handle on the crying. A little while ago, Jags Kooner, who was one of Andrew's friends and colleagues, posted on Instagram about some merchandise they were making. The stuff was great and I couldn't believe I was doing it, but I ordered a sweatshirt, the whole time knowing that Andrew would never let me hear the end of it if he ever saw me wearing anything with his face on it. The sweatshirt arrived a couple of weeks ago and I have to say it is some quality merchandise. But it made me super sad all over again and I went into my Andrew wormhole again, maybe not as distressed, but the crying started again, which is how this episode came about. Lawrence suggested I do an episode on Andrew, which I initially didn't want to, partially because I didn't think I could do it without crying, but I thought it might help me talk through the grief. Even if a narrative podcast like ours feels like I'm talking to myself, maybe, really, I'm talking to Andrew, asking him to help me with my grief over him, since my grief is what brought us together to begin with. When Lawrence played me back our last episode on London Grammar, which ended with a song from Andrew announcing the subject of this episode, he picked a song where Andrew is singing. Hearing Andrew's voice shook me and I instantly started crying. The one thing I wish had happened while Andrew was alive was for him to have met Lawrence. Andrew, like my father, needed to see that I was okay and someone was looking out for me. And that's my snapshot of my almost 30 years of friendship with Andrew Weatherall. There are many interviews I've done with Andrew over the years, a couple of which are linked on picturesoflily.com. In the next episode, I will be talking about my recent experience interviewing Nancy Wilson of Heart about her solo album, You and I. Spare a little candle, save some light for me. Feel
Myself and my co-producer, director, editor, Lawrence Schroeder, thanks for listening. And if you have a chance to subscribe or follow the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, please do so. And please rate and review. You can connect to us on picturesoflily.com. And from there, you can choose your preferred podcast platform or SoundCloud or YouTube or Pandora or Amazon. You can also find the playlist for the podcast episodes on Spotify and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Pictures of Lily.